Ah, oh, for Christ's sake, Anakin! Hello and welcome to episode 33 of For Christ's Sake, Anakin. I'm your host, Matthew Nugumauer, coming to you live to air on this not-so-sunny June 5th, 2018. This also happens to be, we're into the, in Churchland, we're in the Sundays after Pentecost. It's the second Tuesday after Pentecost, if you're counting. Uh, coming to you live to air from far too cold, suburban Toronto, Ontario, Canada. We're supposed to be starting getting heat waves here, come on. Um, keep complaining about the weather. Joined, of course, by R2. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only help. With Leia's voice. And, of course, my, my trusted Coruscant guard and its copy. Ah, uh, Captain. Um, and yeah, we're going to be talking all about Solo. Pretty much entirely about Solo. Uh, the plan here is to get into uh, give a bit of a, a non-spoiler review, just for a little bit. I will be sure to mark when that ends before I go when I go into spoilers, and then I'll go into spoilers. Uh, the reason why I delayed a few weeks in part so I could just go ahead and go into spoilers and not worry about spoiler walls or, or t the time, the statute of limitations on that. Also, the last week or so, especially the weekend it came out, I saw it twice. Uh, the weekend it came out. There were, there were some stressful life things I had to address, so uh, I just set the podcast aside for a bit, stewed on what I wanted to say, and and now here I am. Speaking of stressful weekends, though, <laughs> and I don't normally address box office, but yeah, I, I do want to address the fact that it isn't, hasn't raked in all the dough that Lucasfilm has, this film solo, it, it's... Not even going to break even, as, as some reports say, because of all the reshoots and the, uh, the new director change and all that stuff means that even if it's a smaller film, yeah, I get what people are saying that uh, it's not going to break even. And here, here's what what my thought is there. My my mind will inevitably go straight to okay, what does this mean going forward, and does that mean? A Kenobi movie is in jeopardy. Does that mean a Boba Fett movie is in jeopardy? First of all, I'll say a Boba Fett movie should be in jeopardy. I don't really... I'm, I'm iffy about it. Depends on what they do. I was, it was okay. I mean, it's not that I didn't care about a solo film. I was certainly more excited for, say, Black Panther and Infinity War. Uh, definitely was more excited about Last Jedi and will be more excited about Episode Nine. But it's it's what I wonder is so the the Lucasfilm seems to be more gung ho about a Boba Fett film than the Kenobi film because they think people want this action excitement underground edgy cool stuff and I wonder if the the weak box office here kind of uh, kind of repudiates that a little bit says no wait a minute. We actually want engaging, thoughtful film. And that's the thing is The Last Jedi split the fan base, but the general audience flocked to it. And I think I, my guess is that they loved it because it was it's a really intelligent film. And, you know, the, the, the general audience, they, you know, they, they are a general audience because it isn't, 
the easiest for them to take sci-fi fantasy that seriously. Yeah, they can, starting to be better. But just the fact of the matter is they prefer thoughtful dramas. I mean, the, the Oscar winners are always set usually in our time or in the last hundred years. Uh, you know, exploring the human condition, exploring what it means to live. And so the best sci-fi fantasy films, of course, and the most popular ones do that. It's all that Solo doesn't so much, but Boba Fett's going to be this action-adventure film that isn't so thoughtful. And yes, the the big blockbuster action films, like all the, the Vin Diesel, well, not Vin Diesel, Dwayne Johnson, everything he's in, you know, he's in a new one with the, it's a bit of a, a fantasy with the, the the big wolf and the big gorilla guy. I forget what it's called. I don't care. <laughs> um, not my not my jam. They, they yeah they'll rake in, but I think most people do want they want to be entertained, but they want to be entertained in ways that maybe they know how to latch onto. And so here's my main point: is there's a worry here. There's, my worry is Lucasfilm thinks. Oh, the fans want uh, uh, an awesome action adventure. Boba Fett, look how cool he is. They want an underground thing. And yeah, they can do a good underground story. As I'll say with Solo, this isn't a spoiler. They they do a good underground story. The The danger is that that's not adequately true. That I'm worried that Lucasfilm is going to be so out of touch. with And, and Kathleen Kennedy especially. And... I'm not trying to throw her under the bus anymore. Under the bus, I don't go that far. <laughs> um, but yeah, out of touch with what people want, and it's to it's at the point where, and here's and channel my inner Robert Meyer Burnett. Enterprise Star Trek Enterprise seasons one and two. The Chris Berman, Brandon Bragger, the creators, they came out and said, "Oh, the fans don't want continuity; they just want." Shoot him up, beat him up, action, and that was the number one reason why the, those first two seasons were so horrible, right? And the number one reason why season three and four ended up actually picking up steam is because they said, "No, we actually do want this coherent story here, and if they don't give us a Kenobi film, it'll be that out of touch with what fans want." Because whenever I see, whenever people go around, especially my main sources, of course, are you know, Collider and Full of Sith and all that. Of course, that's all we want is is a Kenobi film. All I want is an Anakin Skywalker Force Ghost in Episode Nine, right? And there's there's that whole anti prequelist attitude that may pervade some some of the money crunchers at Lucasfilm, but frankly. As as I said two weeks ago, you know, in the fandom, it's just not not there anymore. You know, yeah, there are there is an anti prequelist residue somewhere, but uh, I mean, Last Jedi, I think, succeeded in so much because of its references to the prequels, and so and, and yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll get to the way Solo is, of course, situated within. The time frame. So, 
that's my worry is that they just yeah and it continues to bomb if that they lose steam and they start to blame the wrong things and I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to be Prophet of Gloom and Gloom. I'll obviously keep going to see these movies. I will podcast about these movies. I will love these movies. Because I'm the type, as again, I said the prequel episode, I am the type to just love everything that they do put out. Right. Rebels was clearly not the case uh, that they were out of touch. They were clearly, I mean, Dave Filoni is more in touch than anyone he is a fan as much as he's a creator. So hopefully they can write the ship there. Okay, that's that's the bit of news. And of course how I'm Star Warsing is mainly that I saw Solo. I've seen it twice. Saw it opening night, Thursday night, and had that stressful weekend. And then uh, Tuesday night I saw it again in IMAX 3D. And yeah, if you want to see a film in IMAX 3D, we sat. Just, we booked the tickets late, so we sat row e which is really close so the shot from the trailer where you see the the star destroyers being the the in progress star destroyers hovering above it really felt like they were hovering above it was fantastic so so that's good so uh take a swig a coffee here's r2 okay so solo and like i said so this is a non-spoiler trailer Starting about nine and a half minutes in. I liked it. I mean, as I said, it's the... I'm going to like everything that comes out. It was an exciting, fun adventure. It gave us a hint of of what's to come with Solo's character, but it was also really well connected with with what's going on in the, the galaxy at the time. And here's my question about this is, my overall objective verdict is kind of mixed because I left the theater caring more about what happens in the film as it pertains to everything else going around the rest of the galaxy. And I'll get into that in the, in the spoiler section, but that, that excited me maybe because I'm more of a canon junkie. I don't know. But I, I just, you know, it was, it was more exciting to me there than the, what it means for Solo's character going forward. And and so that's the question, that's the concern I have is, did it do what it set out to do? Did the film do what it set out to accomplish? Namely, really give us Solo's backstory. It did that, but was it subsumed, at least for us canon junkies, was it subsumed by all these things called synchronic things. So by synchronic, I mean things happening at the same time, as opposed to the diachronic. Here's some fancy words for you. Here's some fancy philosophical whatever words. Synchronic meaning things happening at the same time, diachronic things happening in succession. So linear time, if you will. I get that phrase from, uh, yeah, we're interpreting the Second Vatican Council and uh, its interpretation of you know, the council as in time in the 60s and then how it's being received. That's a whole other, <laughs> whole other kettlefish. So, yeah, I, I definitely enjoyed it. It was exciting. 
and, you know, it, but it, and it, it was it was put forward as uh, Ken Napsok makes this interesting distinction. It was put forward as war over lore, and I, I I'm gonna I want to tease out that distinction maybe in another episode. But you know, what he means is war as in history, as in the development of characters. I think I can include that in. Just the, the normal, everyday drama, human drama. That is, of course, exciting and part of Star Wars. And the lore, the the, the deeper history, and, oh, of course, what's going on in the Force and all that. And, of course, Solo doesn't really have, have anything to do with the Force, at least not explicitly. But it, it really, it posited war over lore, but I left it, I left thinking, being more excited about the history and the, you know, the lore of how we got to episode four in the galaxy as a whole, not just this one character of Han Solo. I will say the performances were fantastic. I mean, we knew, we knew Donald Glover would rock it as, as Lando. We knew Woody Harrelson as Woody Harrelson. You know, we know Paul Bettany as Paul Bettany, <laughs> right? That, that isn't, that's surprising. Those, we knew that they would bring their artistry and their creativity to to everything they bring. Uh, Alden Ehrenreich and Amelia Clark were surprisingly good. I did not think for one moment, and this was this was the success. I did not think for one moment that oh, that's not Han Solo. That I'd even think oh, it's a recast. Or whatever, that's not Harrison Ford, whatever. I just didn't. So he did an excellent job of pulling me into the story of, of who this character is. So I should say, yeah, it's not that they don't build the character going forward. It's that they, I, my attention was drawn elsewhere. So that that's my that was my concern with the film, but not with the acting. Amelia Clark, I was worried. Is she going to be... Too happy, cheery. I think maybe a little bit in the beginning, she's uh, a little bit like that. But she really gets into her groove. And, and a different character from Daenerys Targaryen, right? Um, so gets into her groove and gets into what's happening. And, and just the way she's able to interact with different characters and different... Yeah. You know, just in the different contexts that she's in. So, that, yeah, that was fine. Yeah, overall, again, I, I'm going to be the type to enjoy it. I didn't like it as much as I liked Rogue One. You know how I feel about Episode Eight. <laughs> so, and you also know how I feel about Infinity War and, and Black Panther. So, definitely not, not even my favorite film, film of 2018, even though it's Star Wars. I saw Infinity War again last night, and that just blew the socks off me yet again. So, enjoyable. I will take a, another swig with R2, and it's at 15.30 is where the spoilers end. So, here we go. Okay, so just here's, again, final spoiler warning that if you haven't seen Solo... You can now safely shut it off, shut this podcast off, 
go to a theater, sit down, watch Solo, come back. It is worth seeing. I'm not going to do it. It's a fun, exciting ride that does show us where, you know, how Han Solo got to be both a scheming, smart, smooth, slick, brimming with confidence. I mean, he, he always was, but in this one, he, you know, he, he's a little more timid. He's connected to Kira at the beginning and this is love interest, right? He, he really wants to go back to Corellia and save her. And, and of course is, is crushed. I mean, you don't see the intervening three years, but crushed when, when he can't, but clearly, you know, there's still that tie. Kind of like how a little, a little bit, a little hint of how Poe and and Ray especially need to want to go back to Jakku. Ray especially wants to go back to Jakku. Well, Solo wants to go. Han <laughs> he isn't Solo yet. That's an interesting thing. Han wants to go back to Corellia to get Kira, and you know that was that was this interesting. Tweak in confidence, tweak in cynicism, and then of course, all the scheming things with Beckett. Right? He he trusts this guy, and I I don't really see there ever being a breach in trust with Beckett. I think it was always he always had a, his head a bit above his shoulders. In that, yeah. Well, we see the, his plan carrying out basically to at least in case Beckett turns to betray him. Um, to somehow, well, at least ultimately get the the uh well, the the fuel, whatever it's called, to to Amphis Nest and her her group. So th- he's already got that mind, and he's already got that confidence, that swagger. Yeah, I think it's especially maybe going forward. And it's interesting they didn't show this. Maybe this is part of other people's concerns. They didn't show. Han being terribly disillusioned and heartbroken that Kira doesn't come with him because it's that's at the end, right? Where everything happens, and so um, that well, that all that happens up until that point, she's actually with him. I think I do believe that she's actually she's torn, and and that's let's again going back to what I said. I mean. Kira may be the most interesting character for me, and I'll get to what I focus on in a minute. But yeah, Han. So we get that why he was has this edge, has this tactician's edge, why he shot first, all that stuff. But here's the most interesting part of Solo's character for me, and is when Kira says, "Oh, you're the good guy," right? That he has. This exterior kind of bragging. He he does a better job of <laughs> learning how to how to bend the truth. Right, less than twelve parsecs. Parsecs. That was a great moment. That hearing it was probably more than 12, closer to thirteen. Chewie's correcting it with a round down. So he's he's trying to expand his own legend a little bit. That was interesting, but. I'm just under the surface. Who cares? Is I know who you really are. You're the good guy. You know who you really are is from the trailer. He has that worried look. Alden plays that wonderfully. 
Yeah, great interaction again between Alden Enreich and Emilia Clark. What it does show is that Han Solo was always going to come back and save Luke. <laughs> the Death Star. He, he was always going to. Yeah, he thinks about going back off to paying his debts to Jabba in, in a minute for a minute. He was always going to come back. He was always going to stick around long enough to take Leia out of off of Hoth, right? Even if he doesn't think it, even if he doesn't know it, there's a call within him. And this may be this connects to tease out the spiritual implications of this. There's a call within him to actually seek out the greater good that hasn't actually been covered up and obscured and uh, and can't really be covered up and obscured and obliterated by this life of crime, right? I think that's something that Chewie sees in him, ultimately. Well, ultimately, even at the beginning, right? Went, this great moment where Chewie saves, he, he not, no, they, they work together to escape, right? It isn't the life that <laughs> they work together to escape. Um, you know, even that very political comment, you know, the, the, you know, engaging the hostiles, it's their planet. We're the hostiles, right? He, he has this growing sense. And of course, in the end, he can't let it business just be business. He has to get, he has to help out Enfys Nest and Enfys Nest in that group. That tummy tells me, yeah, it was always there. So even though, which which makes me wonder if something later happens that I'm talking about later in after Return of the Jedi, he tries. He, he has a family. I haven't read Last Shot, so maybe there's something in there, but. I mean, in Force Awakens, we see how they tried to have a family. Well, the thing that happened probably is the same thing that they got Luke all <laughs> to recusing himself from the galaxy, right? That he feels like a failure as a, of a father because his son Ben is gone. And so that adds, it's interesting, it adds this poignancy to his last moment. Brian Young points out at the end of a red lightsaber. Uh, that his last moment is seeking his act of redemption, or not just act of redemption, but his final act of he's always going to be the one to go and make the last-ditch effort to save people and to help people. And that includes his son, <laughs> Ben Solo. So... So it does give us that really interesting backstory to, or and if anything, it clarifies how we're to read Solo going forward. It clarifies that isn't the scoundrel part of him; it's the heart of gold part of him. That especially, especially in Empire and Return of the Jedi and Force Awakens, is what his role in driving the story forward. Right, we meet him as a scoundrel who's willing to he's willing to evade the Empire, and that's kind of neutral because he doesn't say he's explicitly willing to help the Rebel Alliance. But he was always going to, in a way. So we do get that with Han. And it, 
it, it, it that is well put together and well done. Again, just wasn't what I left the theater with. Being so excited about. It. Here we go. So R2, have you met Darth Maul? I don't know if you've met him. I don't. I can't remember. Probably had. No, maybe not. Uh, yeah, I guess on Tatooine. In episode one, yeah. Probably something around there. Anyways, that's the thing, is... You throw a cameo in like that. When you talk about being in touch with the fans. And connecting. I mean, that has got to be... One of the boldest things that Lucasfilm has done. Since... <laughs> When, uh, you know, since the takeover, right? It's kind of funny. When I watched Rogue One, I, I watched it first with my brother. And, the, I mean, the, the great scene that I remember there is, you know, the, my favorite scene is simple. It's hologram Galen telling Jin and telling all of us that the uh, the, the, the two, two meter hole, whatever it is, the, the exhaust, I forget what it's called. That thing, it isn't a plot hole. It wasn't, whoops, the Empire made a whoopsie. That it was on purpose. And when I, when I, I first saw that, I'm usually not a talker in theaters. <laughs> when I first saw that, I had to turn to my brother and say, whoa, it was on purpose. And that gave me chills. It was incredible. It was this great moment that tied everything together. Oh my goodness. And Solo, and this, again, this is what I'm so excited about with this film. So Han was down the elevator. Kira puts the, the ring into the little device thing. Goes, the, the can this canopy shade thing goes down. And this hologram appears. And the first thing I thought was, I know that voice. <laughs> and... I think it took me a split second to place it because I was just so, what, did that happen? Is this happening? What's happening? I know that voice. And and I almost turned to my brother and said, is this happening? Is this happening? <laughs> and again, it where this is in terms of Maul's story and how this connects to what he's doing, both in terms of, okay, he failed with the whole uh, that underworld kind of conglomeration that he tried to put together. We know that Ahsoka drove him off of Mandalore. Ahsoka and her half of the 501st. We haven't seen him since in the canon, right? <laughs> we know he ends up in the basement of Malachor and looking for Sith artifacts. We know he's consumed with rage against both Kenobi and against Vader, right? And, and, and Palpatine, right? His whole plan is to create these underground, underground cartels to build them up, up enough power in order to... In, in, in this fool's errand. It's, it's completely hopeless, but... And a chance of taking up Palpatine and establishing himself as the Sith Master. The fact that they brought all that in. They brought the entire, you know, the Sith machinations 
that Maul is working on. His revenge against Kenobi. Everything. And just this little... Just by his very appearance. That blew me away. That excited me to no end. I was almost shaking when I saw that. The fact that, you know, the Ray Park... In a hologram, but Ray Park on the screen with Sam Witwer's voice. And Sam Witwer is, of course, my favorite person in Star Wars. <laughs> and the fact that he kept it a secret... That also blows my mind, but I mean, he's a pro. So the fact that he did, he succeeded, and nobody knew this was coming, except for even even Lord and Chris Lord and Phil Miller didn't know. But whatever, uh, John Cat, the Cousins are the only ones who knew this was coming. The fact that they brought that in, that he's using the lightsaber uh, that that we see in Rebels. The, this is the most astounding thing. Is that if you just watch the films, you think he's dead. You think he that Obi Wan slipped him, slid him in half. He's down the chute in Naboo. He's gone. The enemies, the Phantom Menace is defeated. Well, not really, but <laughs> the fact that they're willing to trust the audience to, at the very least figure out why, how, why, why, where do I need to look? Where do I need to go find this? That's astounding. I really hope that's not why the box office is faltering. And I really hope that they do not blame the box office on that scene because nobody knew it was coming. You don't know what's it's coming. So whatever. Um, that excited me more than anything. I left... Not really caring much about Solo. I left caring more about Kira, as I said. She we it puts together what we know when Dryden says she's done things. And when she tells Han, I've done things, you'll never look at me. We know what people in the orbit of the Sith have to do. Right? They have to, like Thanos, for example, they have to basically sacrifice their soul. And they basically have to, well, a bit like what Kylo Ren said, you know, let the past die, kill it if you have to. They, they have to do those things in order to strengthen themselves in the dark side. And for the whole film, we don't suspect that Kira has this dark side. I'm sure she's in the underground, but the dark side of the Force? Really? You know, there's no telling if she's actually, if, if what Maul means it by will work more closely together is you're actually going to be my apprentice now. I don't know if that's the case. It could be. That would be awesome. That would be really exciting. It could even harken back to the Plagueis novel where she's, she's you know, Sith apprentice. She's, uh, well, chair of the this Crimson Dawn, the, the face of Crimson Dawn by day and Sith apprentice by night. Um, things like that. Not necessarily. She could just be some sort of, uh, again, his business associate while he goes around doing Sith things. But the thing that suggests it is, is the fact that he grabs the lightsaber and ignites it. And part of that, again, is so the audience can recognize this isn't just some other red-skinned Horned, horned-headed guy, dude. This is Maul, 
and it's for the, the more the hardcore the fans to recognize he still believes he's the rightful Sith. And that the only thing, you know, Kenobi standing in his way and Palpatine's an imposter and all that stuff. And, um, yeah. So so that excited me more than anything. Get to the last bit. I think R2, we were kind of excited about that, right? Um, of course, on cards with their coffee, we're also excited. <laughs> the other thing, so the two toys I got from Solo, you know, I, again, I won the Lando thing at the trivia. Some friends from Michigan came up and got me the Denny's cups with the, the Falcon. That was cool. I did get the, the mini, the Hot Wheels. I have the, the collect, my, my main collect, if I'm collecting something as a completist, it's the, those kind of $6 Hot Wheels ship, die cast ship models, which are great. So I got the Falcon and Hound Speeder there, but the main toys I really got were, uh, the, this two pack of Maul and Qui-Gon, the fact that they released that, that's hilarious. And Memphis Nest, Memphis Nest. And she's also you know, a really compelling character. It was really interesting. We think she's just some rival marauder gang. We don't even, do we know if it's a she? I don't know whether that matters too much. So rival marauder gang from the trailer. We think there's just going to be this big standoff and you know, she's a villain. <laughs> the standoff happens. Han, you know, boasts about the Falcon. Lando flies away in the Falcon. That was, that was pretty funny. She takes off her mask. She's relatively young. I, I thought she's probably older than I think she is, but the, the actress is, is 19. Uh, let me check what her name is. Erin um, Kellyman. I think it was about 19. 18, 19. She's the leader of a rebel cell. <laughs> turns out, right? She's, I need a drink. Leader of a rebel cell. And we have two tubes that they... One of the two tubes that they hid in the trailers that would have been would have tipped us off to that ends up joining Saw's partisans. We have Weasel from Episode One, uh, Warwick Davis's character. He was part of Watto's gang watching the pod race, and now he's part of Emphasis Marauders, and really, again. Yeah, it's a rebel cell. There's this hint. They're even using the phrase, we're allies. There's an alliance that's building that getting this hyperfuel actually does a good deal of a good deal of support to this burgeoning rebel alliance. Now, this is six years before Rebels, so things are still very, very tenuous in terms of, there isn't much of an alliance to so so much but you know there's Saw's partisans and then there's uh, Bail Organa's group on Crate and from Alderaan is still pulling a lot of these strings right um, you know the, the Royal House Organa <laughs> and here's Emphis Nest and Emphis Nest and thing, you know we're actually standing up to the Empire 
and really bringing that side of things in too that we get of course the final build up in Rogue One with the Battle of Scarif and then of course the Battle of Yavin where everything re everything finally comes together completely and it takes the threat of a Death Star to do that but my point is they brought that in too they say and, and the their overall thing is and Ken Napsok made this point a little bit, but the existence of the Empire pressing down upon the whole galaxy, even so scoundrels and the underground, they're trying to be neutral because all they're trying to do is make a quick buck, right? And interesting with the crawl, the open crawl, lawlessness reigns. Even though the Empire is trying to press its boot on the galaxy, the more they do, I mean, Leia's point, more star systems slip through their fingers, her thinking join the Rebel Alliance. But the more they do, the more these criminal elements are actually able to, to fester and, and breed because, first of all, the Empire doesn't care. But it's like any bureaucracy, right? The more you try to control from a central location, the actual less control there ends up being because you can only do so much, right? That's why, for example, I think, just to take a political example, why the United, U.S. Department of Education and, you know, in different, you know, I don't know about the U.S. Department of Agriculture, but the example that would come to mind is, why the U.S. Department of Education is so centrally controlled and why, why education in the U.S. is so in shambles because they don't have the time and resources to go into and don't care to go into any inner cities. Right? No child left behind is this weird last-ditch effort. Whereas in Canada, yeah, we, it's a little better. It's not great, but not perfect. But at least, you know, the government of Ontario has, what, five, six million people to worry about as opposed to 300 million. That's the example I brought. The more bureaucracies try and press down. But what that means then is other elements can come in and begin to polarize the neutral, you know, the, the, this neutral space that is the underground. Right? With the Republic, there was enough federalism, enough decentralization for local elements to be more present. For local security actually to be a little more present with with the Grand Army of the Republic with the Imperial Army they again can't be everywhere what that means though is and this is what we see is we see with Maul that the underground is being pulled into this very clearly evil direction with the Sith with Emphis Nest we see Emphis Nest we see I'm mistaking that word. Amphis Nest. We see actually the underground is being pulled into this lighter direction with the Rebel Alliance. Which is still part of the a little bit part of the underground. There's contacts there. They're willing and able to use smugglers and whatnot for their ends, right? The Lando comic, for example, and this is a bit of a spoiler, but the premise of the Lando comic, this new one that's come out, that with, with Donald Glover's likeness on it, is actually another rebel cell on a, a localized on a planet 
actually using Lando's services to smuggle aid and weapons and <laughs> supplies and things like that. So, if anything, then going forward, there will be there there is this direction that we end up seeing again in a new hope right by that point the rebel alliance is clearly coalesced and the empire itself i mean credit's project actually finally succeeding does mean that they don't need the senate they don't need the regional the well they they, they have the moths but really, what they have is the Death Star. Yeah. <laughs> Short-lived, sure. But that polarization of the galaxy that does lead to this all-out galactic civil war. So, all that with a few scenes in Solo. You know, we see, again, we see this one guy's place in it beginning to emerge. I, I, you know, and, and you know, that's what it, that's really what the film set out to do. He did that, but I'm more interested and excited by what Maul and Emphis Nest represent. And so the question of whether or not, and, and what Kira represents and what, um, yeah, especially Kira and Lando to some degree, but yeah. <laughs> What Maul and Emphis Nest represent. So the question is, did the film succeed to what and what it what it set out to do in, in in having this be the focus in being a, the Han Solo standalone film? I frankly don't know. <laughs> I don't know how I'd measure that. I haven't looked at other reviews. I will, but um, again, I enjoyed it. Worth seeing. I'll see it again. But, yeah, it, it went in all these other directions that I wasn't expecting and was more excited by. Maybe that's the danger of what you do when you're trying to connect everything together. You know, Marvel does such a great job of it. Star Wars, generally speaking, does a great job of it, especially in the books and the comics and things like that. And, of course, the TV series, my word. So, maybe that's just the danger for us canon junkies. <laughs> are getting more interested in the world building than character development. Who knows? Uh, I do recommend you seeing it again. I'm going to see it again. I'm going to see it again. Maybe my view will change. Maybe I will get more, re hopefully get more reactions to this film on this podcast and reactions to The Last Jedi. We'll see what happens there. So this has been episode 33 of For Christ's Sake, Anakin. Hope you enjoyed Solo. I hope you enjoyed listening to this. You can follow me on Twitter at NEUG485 and request a follow on Instagram at MNEUG1138. You can follow this podcast on the Radio Public app and, of course, fcsa.podient.co. Thanks for listening. May the Force be with you always.